working our way through the death of Jesus chronologically. So we're looking at all four Gospels, and we're looking at how it goes. And so what Jesus said on the cross, and then all the miraculous events during those six hours and following his death that happened. Wondrous signs and miracles. So um, we're going to see the second of seven wondrous signs or miracles tonight at the death of Jesus. And that all those people who were standing there witnessed that day, Friday, nearly 2,000 years ago, around about there. So uh, here with me, the Word of God from Matthew 27, 50 to 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. So the Word of God may add his blessing to it tonight as we read it. Now, we're looking tonight at the second part of verse 51 on your handout, which is uh, about the earth shaking and the rocks being split. It's an earthquake, a sudden earthquake. As Jesus breathed his last, there's a great temple veil that is torn uh, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where you go to offer up your sacrifice, to cheat, so if you will, to get, to get into God's good grace by offering up a sacrifice. And with the death of Jesus, that is no longer the case. The priestly, ceremonial aspect of the law of God is fulfilled in Christ. And so we go straight into God's presence through Jesus Christ and His Spirit. And so we see that's a very obvious benefit of Christ and the death of Him. But what's also a benefit uh, is, is this earthquake. And how is an earthquake beneficial? Well, we're going to look at that. What, is, what's a, what does an earthquake have to teach us uh, in, in here? And so we, we all know that earthquakes and disasters like it cause us to fear. How many of you guys were in more uh, the day that the big EF5 tornado came through um, a few years ago? Yeah, I was there eating lunch in the Genghis Grill with a friend. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. yeah. Speaking of more, my mom called me and told me there was a new school and more that I got evacuated because of potential Ebola. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Yikes. There was someone, someone's uh-huh. family went on a cruise trip near that area, which was uh, very high. That's, so they that's, heard about it, so they're like, okay, all kids out of school for like the next month. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Really, Ebola. Yeah. Someone's yeah. parents go to Africa. That's Oh, you just excuse. We just need to call off the rest of the semester. All right, so, yeah, all right, go home. Yeah. Just look forward to the ski trip. Yeah, right, so we'll come back for the ski trip. Well, so, <laughs> yeah, so, if you can imagine being there and, and hearing the stuff on the radio and driving away and how horrible that was and trying to get away from that and knowing that people's homes are going to be destroyed, that's awful. And here we have an earthquake right here. Um, you know fear. Um, you know it very well. Upperclassmen here, if you go to a career fair, um, there's just all this drama in your heart as you walk into that place wondering if anyone will accept you, if anyone wants to get to know you, if anyone cares about your resume you spend so much time on. Will they hire you? Freshmen, the night, you were, the night before you moved here, think about the, sort of the fear of what it's going to be like when you get here. Uh, then you have a lot of firsts, the first exam. Uh, maybe even the exam you have this week uh, that you're afraid of. And in the future, or even uh, earlier, it's biopsy results. Those things cause us to fear. What is it going to what, what What will the doctor say? 
Uh, and so in our personal lives, we've got a lot that makes us afraid. Uh, for instance, you just let that certain somebody that you have a crush on uh, know that you like him or her, and you and like what happens next causes you to fear. Will they laugh in your face or say, "Hey, I like you too"? Um, let's be friends. Yeah, that's usually what they say, right? Uh, so fear is normal, absolutely part of our life, and so faith in Jesus does not eliminate fear, not at all, but Jesus' death was phase one of a two-phase mission to destroy all things that shake his people. Uh, Part one of a two-phase mission to destroy all things that shake his people. And so the earthquake at Jesus' death is going to picture that. Now, I want you all to follow along with me in uh, Hebrews 12, which I printed out in your handout, page one. And we're just going to read that together. And this really comments on the idea of the shaking uh, of the earth that God does. Uh, Three big times. The first time we ever see God really shake the earth in a violent way associated with his revelation was the Ten Commandments that God gave. Uh, At at Exodus 19 and 20, you can look that up. If you're a note-taking person, jot down Exodus 19 and 20 and go look that up. Moses received the Ten Commandments from God and God shook the earth. It was a big event in history. And the second will be here at the cross. Uh, it was the second big shaking of, of, of the earth. And the third one would be God's going to shake not just the earth, but the whole universe uh, when Jesus returns. There's going to be a big shaking. And we're going to hear about all three of those in this text. So just read along with me, bear along with me. It's a long passage, but we'll, we'll get through it. Verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the made the heavens beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. It's a holy mountain. Uh, In 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens." This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. And there you have it, Hebrews 12 brings those things together. If you notice there, it's a little hard to understand what he's talking about at the beginning, but he's talking about you've come to this place. It's a place that's really a spiritual place. It's a new kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And though we don't see it in its fullness now, this is where we're going. We're going to a place where the things that have been made, the things that are shakeable, will be no more. And those things that are spiritual realities will be um, all that we know. We'll we'll be in the immediate presence of, of Jesus and God. So looking at the shakiness, of approaching God, how that ought to cause us to shake, first of all, and then we're looking at the removal of the things that cause us to shake, and then thirdly, uh, what faith looks like now, living forward in that. So three points. First, the shakiness of approaching God that causes us to fear and shake. 
which is legit faith. So um, I don't know if y'all ever think about God in a way that makes you shake. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a rarity, actually. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen this movie either, but I think it really sort of emphasizes what I actually want to talk about tonight, which is a little documentary called Grizzly Man, okay? Grizzly Man. 2003, Timothy Treadwell uh, spent the last of his 13 summers living in Alaska amongst grizzly bears. I mean, living with grizzly bears. He would walk up to them, touch them. He had over 100 hours of footage stored up on his camera of him interacting with bears. He brought his girlfriend with him. And, you know, he only had 13 summers of this. Because in the 13th summer, what do you think happened? The grizzly bear ate him, okay? <laughs> he was eaten by a grizzly bear. Now, if you've ever seen the show, they took, the, they took all the film and they spliced it into a documentary and they interviewed people who knew him. And they did a lot, kind of the point was he wanted to advocate for grizzlies and, and, and show what they were like. And, and he was a little bit delusional and deranged. Uh, because he was, I mean, grizzlies are great, but you cannot live with grizzly bears. And so, yeah. For more than 13 years. <laughs> that's, that's, so 12, yeah, no, no, yeah, okay, good point, George. Yeah, so we've learned that it's dangerous, of course, to live amongst grizzly bears and to touch them and to speak to them and act like you know them and they have personalities that you can understand. So, well, that's crazy uh, to, to, talk, to walk up to a grizzly bear and you might die. Uh, and so, well, that's exactly what this guy wants, uh, the author of Hebrews, wants to communicate when he talks about God being consuming fire. Okay, for us to approach God ought to terrify us in ways that we know being terrified is like. Um, I don't know if you've accidentally posted something on social media before. <laughs> you look and you're like, oh, did I, that's on there? Yeah, <laughs> oops. <laughs> If, you, if, if something got, you got tagged in you don't like, you can just go and tag it. But that's on there. Oh, oh. One time I realized I called somebody uh, FaceTiming them when I was in the bathroom. Oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is not good. I mean, that, that, could, that, that cannot end well. Um, you know, it's just it, an accidental, you know, call it pocket dial. But, you know, it's like, that's horrible. Um, you, you hear, you hear of... Um, you know, people who speak in public leaving the microphone on when they go to the restroom, and that's just terrible. No one wants to hear that uh, or see that. Uh, thankfully, I don't think anyone—I don't think anyone saw anything. I, got, I figured it out before it happened. That's awful. Okay, and when you see that <laughs> sent or, or like on your call history, FaceTime to so and so at oh no, um, yikes! Um, that's terrifying. Who yeah. was it? I can't. I won't, I won't divulge that. That's <laughs> later. Um, okay. Um, it's John Baber. No, he's in Atlanta. Uh, so you can text him about that. So, um, you, yeah, no, kidding. Um, you, you, um, you find out, that, this is a more serious one, you find out your friend who shouldn't have been driving and behind the wheel of a car was, and you're like terrified to find out what happened. Uh, these are all terrible things. And you feel terror about the consequences of your actions or your friend's actions. And so, uh, wouldn't it make sense to fear God as we approach Him in that way? Um, and I'm going to ask, wouldn't our spirituality go to the next level if we actually felt the big dealness, that's a real word, the big dealness of God and who He is that Moses felt? As he says here, when he felt God's presence, when he approached Him in verse 21, he said, I, I tremble with fear. 
again, there's a great deal to, to, to see God. And once God rocks the earth here after Jesus dies, there's gonna, we're going to see a centurion in the future weeks who says, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. Because he not only dies for the sins of the world, but there's this massive outpouring of miracles here. And he was terrified. And so the temple being torn, we see that there's a, a, a earthquake. There's going to be much more in store for us. But you realize that what he's done here is, is shake the earth. And he's also shaking your relationship with God. Never again can our sin, if we're in Christ, never again can the legal demands of the law say you don't belong. No one can say that because he nailed all of the demands that we've broken, all the ways we've broken the law to the cross. He's disarmed everyone who would say you're not with him. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in him, your relationship is forever shaken uh, and, and, and it's unshakable, okay, if that makes sense. Your relationship is unshakable. So our shakiness of approaching God, the, the things God ought to feel ashamed about are no more. But it is still a tremendous thing to be able to approach God. And it ought to cause us to legitimately fear, as we would if we're afraid of heights and we're, we're climbing up to a, one of those ropes course deals and, and walking across a line, you know, and grabbing onto things. I shake so badly at that, uh, and, and I'm terrible at it. Um, so uh, and it makes me want to, you know, it makes me want to throw up. So, hey. So, secondly, the death or removal of all things that can be shaken. Let's look at those. Uh, what are the things that it's talking about? Well, look at verse 27. It says, yet once more, the removal of all things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Um, how many of y'all have seen the, uh, the earthquake in San Francisco documentary on ESPN? Okay, there's, I mean, there's, it happened 25 years ago in the World Series, uh, which is coming up right now, Kansas City and the Giants. But the Giants and the A's were playing. And who can believe Kansas City's in it? I don't know, but yeah. So, uh, but the Giants... And the A's were playing. And, they're, they're, and what the, the documentary offers up several notable uh, quotes from people. First, uh, Will Clark, who's one of the best hitters on the Giants, um, in, in a 30-second in interview, he, admit, he admitted that he couldn't help feeling a little bit cheated that his one World Series appearance became an afterthought. Okay, everyone remembers the earthquake and not what Will Clark did, not what the Giants did. I don't even know who won. You know, do y'all, who knows? But it was a big earthquake, a 7.2 on the Richter scale uh, in San Francisco, and it caused massive damage and massive fatalities uh, there. Ricky Henderson, who is one of the big hitters on the A's, uh, he was in the bathroom when the quake hit, and he was sure that the shaking was due to the Candlestick fans. Candlestick Park was the, was the stadium where they played. He was sure that the shaking was due to the Candlestick fans getting rowdy. Okay, I mean, and he was disappointed. No one cared about the game anymore. They care about, are my, are my, is my family okay? What's going to happen here? What do we do next? Um, cell phones weren't in wide use there, so they were, I mean, you know, there was no camera phones, no one posting about it. It's hard to really understand what was happening. Um, so um, that was something that upstaged the game. And I'm going to say, like, what happened here with Jesus in, in verse 50 and 51 is that Jesus actually upstages the earthquake. Uh, now, you can go back and you can look at the Dead Sea, uh, rec- I mean, look at the soil, Dead Sea, and see that there were several big events, like earthquake-type things. And you can go back and see that there was a big earthquake in the range of 26 A.D. 
to 36 AD, which is kind of the, the target area for where Jesus died. So it's kind of a cool little apologetical point of, hey, look, external history confirms the existence and of these events that the Bible is talking about, which is kind of cool. And so you can look back and see, well, this is probably happening here. And uh, but, but you know, no one really remembers the earthquake. Uh, no one's really excited about that. that you know, people have been going all over the world, telling people about Jesus and what he did. This is the thing that truly upstages even an earthquake. Now, why? Because Jesus doesn't, in his body, you know, remove the earthquakes of the world, the things that we fear. Uh, but he does, uh, and he has changed people's hearts all over the world uh, through miracles, even. Uh, and Everett Harrison says that a miracle is, is an event in the external world wrought by the immediate power of God to accredit a message or messenger. So in this, he's, he's looking. We're going to see the sun goes dark, the earth shakes, and he's showing, look, this is God's message. This is the center of God's message to people. And some of us are looking for God to do something cool for us. To, to upstage something in our lives. Now, again, no one talks about this earthquake. Something bigger is happening. God's changing the world through his son's body. Um, and he can do what we're powerless to do. Um, you know, he could really end Ebola if he wanted to. And he will. Um, we can't. We can't end Ebola. We um, fear it. We wear masks. Um, Cameron, a rapper, is selling masks. Masks now. I just saw that online. Uh, before I came in here, um, yeah, mass, surgical mass for you to go and buy because you're worried. Um, miracles are not normative. Uh, and, and, and the Bible even says, Jesus even says in Matthew 16, 4, that the sign we need is the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That is the miraculous sign you and I need. And why is that? Well, it, it's, it's the death or removal of things that can be shaken. Things that can be shaken. So he starts with his body, taking away our sin. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see sinners anymore. He sees saints if we trust in Jesus. And then ultimately, the things that we fear, Ebola, uh, namely, uh, will be taken away. Um, and, and that, but it's, it's not that the earthquakes are gone. It's that they will be gone. It's a two-phase process. And so if we can believe that God could love me with such love, that he would send his son to die for me, we can believe that he's going to take care of me uh, in, in the midst of all kinds of hard things uh, in life. So uh, look at um, a, a guy I like uh, who's you know, Stonewall Jackson. Y'all heard of this guy? I know. You, you mostly know about him from Anchorman 2. Uh, you've seen that one. Okay, right. He was in that one. So, Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, so Stonewall Jackson, uh, of course, was a devout Christian. Uh, I'll, just to read you a few of his accomplishments, uh, besides the civil uh, war between the states, civil war stuff, he came to uh, Lexington, Virginia, uh, and joined a Presbyterian church in 1851. He's one of my guys. Um, he was a uh, churchman. He was a deacon. Um, he had strong beliefs um, and, and lived by them. Um, he started a Sunday school for slaves and freedmen, which is actually against the law, uh, and he taught them how to read. Uh, against the law to teach slaves how to read, he did that. And that school continued on even after uh, Stonewall Jackson had died in the war. And uh, three African-American congregations came out of that. Stonewall Jackson, the reason I'm telling you about him is he said this, My religious belief teaches me that I'm as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time of my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to always be ready no matter when it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live 
and then all would be equally brave. He says his religious beliefs teach him to, be, to feel as safe in battle as in bed. And if all men believed that, all men would be equally brave. Uh, do your religious beliefs teach you that? That you're safe in the midst of Ebola uh, or wherever you are uh, or in, as you are in bed? In the safety of your own home, in a dorm room, apartment. Um, there's a, an old story uh, that C.S. Lewis tells about uh, Narnia, where you go to Narnia, your kids, you go to Narnia, and you know, some of you have seen this, know where I'm going, or heard it. Um, Lucy is kind of like the closest guy, girl, to, to Aslan. Aslan's the, the Jesus character in this, in this story. And Aslan is, you know, a lion, okay? He's a big deal. Um, at one point when Lucy has not met Aslan yet in the first book, which is Chronicles uh, of or Narnia, which is Lion, which is the wardrobe, uh, the way I read them, not the one that starts chronologically. Um, okay. Um, Lucy asks Mrs. Beaver, she says, is this Aslan a man? And then uh, Mrs. Beaver, uh, Mr. Beaver says, Aslan a man? Uh, certainly not, I tell you. He is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, says Susan, actually. She says, I thought he was a man. And then she says, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. Is there anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking? And they're either braver than most or just silly. Lucy then asks, then he isn't safe. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Question mark. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. He's a good king. He's not safe, but he's good. And so going to battle, okay, is not safe. In fact, Stonewall Jackson died from friendly fire. But <laughs> he felt safe as he was in his bed because the point of our life is not always feeling safe or, uh, or being safe or being happy or joyful uh, but what we are called to do is to approach where God wants us to go without fear and to be brave through it because he is good. Okay, we need no fear bullets, Ebola, judgment, unemployment, singleness. Um, if that's your lion you're riding on, keep going. Um, Lucy gets to ride on the lion in the books. She gets to ride on Aslan. And if you're riding on Aslan, if you're riding on the king, bullets can strike you, Ebola can strike you, judgment can strike you, unemployment, sinless, all these things can strike you that you don't want, but he holds the whole world in his hand. He does. And yet, because of Jesus' death, he's working even the things that kill us for our good. Because there's going to be a day in which all those things are no more, and the things that cannot be shaken, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, is all that remains. And you, we in Stonewall Jackson will be there uh, with him. And so some of you, um, you, know, you know, need to say, you know, like, what does this mean to me, okay? Uh, so some of you are overly busy, and you need to say no to some things so that your yes to things can be better. You actually can say yes to things and actually make a difference in things besides saying yes to some things and doing nothing, absolutely. Uh, you, need to, you need to really invest in some good things. 
I'm recommending uh, going and, and mentoring kids after school. Great thing to do. Um, and there's, a, there's a local elementary school that I know people who work in, and, and they can get you connected to people that you could mentor. I'll even sign you up tonight if you want to. Uh, it's a really good thing to do. Um, and, and so after the music tonight, I can get you connected to that. And you may not get any kind of like benefit out of doing anything like that uh, at all. No tangible benefit to monetarily help you or get you an internship or anything like that. But it will make a difference in you, totally. That's a good thing. Um, he can do something like that. Maybe um, if there are some of you here that are like, okay, I've got four kids, minivan, like I, like I tell you, and a wife. I have five dependents. So I don't want to go running into the Ebola scare, okay? Some of you have no other dependents, though, okay? Like, you could go do this, okay? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to leave my wife and four kids, you know, but, but you might be able to do that, okay? Like, uh, Christians care for people who are in danger and put themselves at danger all the time because they fear nothing. Because <laughs> they, they are just as safe in battle, in the hospital, uh, wherever it is, as they are in their own beds. Because they're riding on the lion, y'all. They're li- riding on Aslan, who is not safe, but he's good. So God has not called you to a safe life, friends. He's called you to a good life that glorifies God. He's called you that. Maybe some of us will be the ones who will go and take out Ebola. Uh, under God's um, direction, His hand. Maybe you. Maybe He calls. He, maybe He's calling you to something that's absolutely crazy to people that you know, uh, who would think that it's crazy. But God has something for you, and I just want to tell you that that is okay to do it because God is with you, and you will be safe in that. So let's uh, let's pray and we'll end it there. Father in heaven, thank you for these words. Thank you for what you give to us uh, in Christ. You've given us um, your own son uh, so that we can know that you are good uh, and that you are safe because you didn't leave Jesus in the ground. Uh, You brought him back to life. And we can trust that you will end earthquakes. You'll end all of our fears, all the things that make us to shake because you didn't end Jesus there. You brought him on up up to life. You raised him on the third day. And you brought him up to heaven to the great place of power, uh, the right hand. And so we pray that you would bring us there and you'd help us, our spirits, to feel there right now. That we'd feel boldened and in bravery to, to courageously follow you into hard places. Uh, and we will give you glory there as you do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.